Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 25. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Nobody has to be here. I'm the only one that has to be here. I mean in the best sense. I want to be and I have to be and it's all good. But don't keep church hopping, y'all. Don't keep church shopping. Hey, you're visiting today? That's great. Come back one or two times? That's okay, too. But you know what the problem is when folks are church shopping and it's 37 years later and, and they're still trying to find a church? I can't find a church. Listen, there is no perfect church. If you understand that, say amen. There is no perfect church. And listen, if you find a perfect church, when you get there, you're going to mess it up. (laughs) As soon as you show up, it is no longer perfect. There is no perfect church because the church is made up of imperfect people. So... You're never going to find the, oh, it's all got everything that I need. No, the church, you want to look for a church where the pastor is teaching you the word of God. Amen, saints? Where he's staying in the word and staying in worship. And that's what God would have us to do. Not have this goat mentality that I am all over the place. Doing what I want, eating what I want, going where I want, and I don't care. God wants us to be sheep who follow who serve, who love him and love his people. Loving Jesus and loving his people. Now notice, Jesus, notice here in our text, he is doing the separating. Now let's get into this. He's doing the separating of the sheep and the goat in judgment. Now there are a lot of people who will tell you that at the end of the world, that there's going to be this one grand general judgment that's going to happen at the end of the world. One judgment. Now listen to me. The Bible teaches it's very clear. There's not one judgment. There are three judgments. Number one, if you're taking notes, the Bible teaches the Bema Seat Judgment. The Bema Seat Judgment. And then the Bible talks about the Great White Throne Judgment. And sandwiched between the Bema Seat Judgment and the Great White Throne Judgment is this judgment of the nations of which we find in our text in verses 31 through 46. We're talking about a judgment that takes place between the Bema Seat Judgment and the Great White Throne Judgment. What's the Bema Seat Judgment? The Bible's very clear. Listen, the Bema Seat Judgment of Christ is a judgment for all believers. It is not a judgment of condemnation. It is a judgment of accommodation, commending. 
It's a judgment of reward. Almost like the Olympics. You've seen the Olympics where the athletes stand on the stands and they receive their gold, silver, bronze medals. Well, that's the Bema seat. They were rewarded or judged. See, the Bible teaches that the Christian who has given their lives to Christ, when they stand in judgment, they're going to stand at the judgment of rewards, where God's going to commend you. You're not going to be judged for your sins because Jesus already paid the price for your sin. Your sin has already been judged. Remember, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left the crimson stain, but what saints? He washed it white as snow. He took away our sin. Praise God. Christians aren't going to be judged anymore. The bemacy is for rewards. Then we have the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment, on the other hand, is a judgment for the unbeliever. The great white throne judgment involves all the wicked dead and they are resurrected. The great white throne judgment, listen carefully, occurs a thousand years after the judgment of nations. The great white throne judgment unbelievers will stand before Christ who sits on the great white throne. He's going to scroll through the books for their names. And if their names are not found in the book of life, they're going to be thrown in the lake of fire. This is the second death, the Bible says. And then again, sandwiched between the Bema seat judgment and the great white throne. If you're with me so far, say amen. Is this judgment of nations? The judgment of nations, which will happen right after Jesus returns to the earth. Then he's going to rule and reign in righteousness for a thousand years. And then comes that great white throne judgment. Now, give me back my my graph, if you will. Would you give me my graph, my my, my uh, order of prophecy? There you go. I know the wording is small, but I just want to help you put a visual before you as to the sequence of events so that we are clear in this final chapter and the final section of Jesus Olivet Discourse. Let's be clear. Here's a simple order of events. The rapture of the church will take place at any moment. The Bible says it's eminent. It can happen in the next three minutes, three seconds, or 30 years. It's eminent. That's what the Bible says. Seven years, at that point, seven years of tribulation will begin. Then the second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth. Then we'll have the battle of Armageddon. That's the great battle in the valley of Megiddo. And then we'll have the judgment of the sheep and the goats. The judgment of the sheep and the goat, right after the battle of Armageddon. You notice it's kind of right there at the second coming. The judgment of the sheep and the goat. The sheep are on the right. The sheep will go into the millennial kingdom for a thousand years in their mortal bodies. And they will marry and have kids and repopulate the earth. The sheep are going into the thousand year millennial reign of Christ. The goats are not. Or the unbelievers, they are not. The goats are on the left. They're going to be thrown into outer darkness until they are resurrected to stand at the great white throne judgment at the end of the thousand year millennial kingdom. Again, at that time, the Lord's going to scan the books. Look for your name. Your name's not written there. You're cast into outer darkness. It's at the great white throne judgment. The Bible says the devil The beast, the false prophet, and all unbelievers who rejected Christ will be cast into the lake of fire. Again, this is the second death. The second death. So the first death, understand, is physical. 
The second death is spiritual. You got it. It's spiritual and it's complete and total forever, forever and ever separation from God. The second death. First death is spiritual, physical. Second death is spiritual. Forever separated from God. No reincarnation, no coming back. You're never going to live again. Someone once said it like this. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. See, born once, in other words, if you're born into the world and you are never born again, you're going to die twice. You're going to die physically. Someday the Lord's going to resurrect your body. And people get all into, well, how's he going to do that if the process of decay sets in and the body gets all dust and mash the ashes, dust to dust, and how's all that going? I don't know. I don't. But I know what the Bible says. So the Bible says that you're born into the world physically. If you are never born again, you are going to die. When you die, at some point, at the great white throne judgment, the Lord is going to raise you up as an unbeliever, and you're going to stand before him in judgment, the great white throne judgment. If you are, that's born once, die twice. If you are born twice, you die once. In other words, you're born into the world physically, but then like Jesus told Nick, you must be born again. So now you're born again. That's born twice. Guess what happens? If you die physically, that's it. Die once. You'll never die again. As a matter of fact, you'll live forever. That's why we say Christians don't die. They fall asleep. And what a joy that is. Amen, saints. So born once, die twice. Born twice, Die once. Three judgments the Bible talks about. The Bema Seat, the Judgment of Nations, and the Great White Throne Judgment. Now notice in your Bibles in verses 37 through 45. Let's take this chunk. Nations are judged based on their treatment of the least of these, my brethren. Did you notice that? That's what they're judged based on. Jesus said, when I was hungry, you gave me food. Thirsty, you gave me drink. Stranger, you took me in. Naked, you clothed me. Sick and in prison, you came to visit me. Notice in verse 37 through 45, both those who are found guilty, the goats on the left, and those who are found innocent, the sheep on the right, are surprised. Did you notice that? They're wondering when they helped or neglected Jesus. And Jesus said, you helped me or neglected me when you did it to the least of these, my brethren. Now, who are the brethren? Well, scholars argue about this. Who are my brethren? Well, some say it's the Jews. And some people say it's Christians. Who is he talking about? Well, I think in the context, he's talking to Jews. I think in the overall application He's talking to all born-again believers. We are all his brethren. So which one is it? Both. It's both. You see, we're his brethren. Don't you remember? Acts chapter 9. Paul the apostle, he's going to kill him some Christians. Men and women and children. He's going to destroy them. He's got a letter to do so. And persecute the church. And you remember in Acts chapter 9, he's on a mission 
from the devil. And God stops him in his tracks and he falls to the ground and he hears a voice that comes from heaven that says, Saul, Saul, because his name was Saul before it was Paul. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Jesus said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Did you notice he didn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting them Christians? Saul, why are you persecuting the, the believers? He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In other words, Jesus so intricately involves his life and our life together that it is one. So if you do it unto the least, you're doing it unto him. If you persecute Christian folks, you persecute him. If you love Christian people, you are loving on him. And you can't separate the two. Because people say, well, you know, I love the church. I mean, I love God, but I don't love the church. You ever heard people say that? I love God. I, you know, I'm, I gave my life to Christ, but I just don't like the church. I'm like, are you a Christian? Yes. When well, you don't like yourself. Well, I love God, but I don't love the church. Listen, you, according to the scriptures, you don't love God if you don't love his people. You can't separate the head from the body. You understand? You can't separate. That's a monstrosity. It's not a blessing. That's ugly. Jesus is connected to his people. So my brethren can relate to, can refer to us as believers as well, I believe, in our context, it relates to the Jews. Now, let me just make this clear because there are many people who use this passage of scripture to teach that salvation is by works. They'll say that. They'll point that out and say, because these folks were, you know, that they needed to, you know, feed the feed the hungry and clothe the naked and give water to the thirsty. And and this is what proves your salvation, they say. Listen, that's not what this text is teaching at all. The Bible says and the Bible is very, very clear. No one has ever or will ever be saved by their works. Amen, saints. The Old Testament is very clear. People were saved by sola fide. Faith only. And in the New Testament, people are saved today, sola fide, faith only. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that is not of yourself, it is the gift of God. People are saved by faith, not by works. This passage is simply pointing out evidence of their belief. That they have helped God's people and those who didn't help were showing that they weren't believers. Those who are believers are evidencing that belief by giving water, giving clothing, giving food, giving shelter. Those who are believers during the tribulation period, during that time. And then those who are not believers are evidencing their faith because they did not clothe and they did not feed Nowhere in the scriptures is this teaching salvation by works. And don't misunderstand me. I do believe that we need to do good works. The Christian life should be characterized by good works. It's a shame that there are many other denominations and religious groups that are, have more of a witness and character reference or noted for their good works. I think of the Mormons, for example. You can say what you want to say about Mormons. I disagree with Mormon teaching. I think it is unbiblical. But I can tell you what, I've never heard anybody say Mormons were not kind people. 
I've never heard that. Never. But I have unfortunately heard that people say Christians were not kind people. That should never be. We should have, and matter of fact, because we are Christians, we should do good works. Amen, saints? We should serve one another and we should serve Jesus. You know, talking about good works, Shakespeare said this. He said, I would give nothing for that man's religion whose very dog and cat are not the better for it. I like that. John Wesley had this to say about his rule of life. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all times you can, to all people you can, as long as ever you can. Do good. But random acts of kindness are not a means of salvation. They won't save you. And then notice Jesus gives them the kingdom that has been prepared for them. Look at it again in verse 34. Jesus gives the sheep the kingdom. If you're with me so far, say amen. Jesus gives the sheep uh, the kingdom. This is fascinating. Listen close. Fascinating. He gives the sheep the kingdom that has been prepared for them from the foundation of the world. Now that'll blow your mind. The sheep that enter the kingdom... It was prepared for them before the foundation of the world. Now, if you've been around church, you've been around seminary, you've heard the doctrine of election. The doctrine of election simply teaches this. God chose you to be saved before you were born, before you were in your mother's womb, before you had a chance to become the good person that you are. The Bible says that God chose you and elected you, the doctrine of election. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and ordained you to bear fruit. Now, this teaching of the doctrine of election is very difficult to understand and pretty difficult to explain. You know, someone once said this, if you try to explain election, you'll lose your mind. But if you try to explain it away, you'll lose your soul. Very true. You see, the Bible is very clear. God chose you before the foundation of the world. This is the omnipotent, all-powerful God who chose you before the world was framed and founded. Before you were in your mother's womb, God knew he chose you. At the same time, listen, the Bible says, whosoever will, let them come. So what we have is man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. God sovereignly chose people at the same time. You have to make a decision to choose him. And some people say, well, then I'm not a Christian. Why? Because how do I know if God chose me or not? I'll say, well, do you want to become a Christian? No. Well, then God didn't choose you. This is not rocket science, people. Well, do you want to become a Christian? Yes. Well, then God chose you. Because remember, it's whosoever will let them come. You've got to make a decision. 
Now, here's the point here. I don't know about you, but I certainly do not claim to understand the doctrine of election. There are many things that I do not understand about God and his word. But listen, the things that I don't understand about God are the very things that cause me to worship God because God knows more than I do. God, God's got a big brain. I've got a pea brain. Say amen, saints, because y'all got one too. God's awesome, we're not. So God's mighty and all-powerful, and we're weak and limited power. So the things that I don't understand about God are the very things that cause me to worship God. I love the fact that I don't know everything, because I don't know everything makes me say, God, you know everything. Praise God, you're an awesome God. So the very things that I don't know are the very reasons why I worship him. Hmm, yeah. You know, it was Spurgeon who said this, talking about being chosen. Spurgeon said, I'm sure glad God chose me before I was born because I don't think he would have chose me after I had done some living. I say, amen. I'm glad he chose me because after I was living, he probably wouldn't. I just thank God I'm saved. I thank God that he saved me. Now, notice in verse 41, I'm coming in for a close. Hell was created. This is very, very important. Although God has chosen men, although men has, have a responsibility to respond, the Bible teaches that hell was not created for men. Hell was created for the devil and his angels, not for men. Heaven was created for men. Hell was created for the devil. But the Bible says that every person who continues to reject Christ, if they die, that hell enlarges itself. In other words, hell gets bigger and bigger and makes room for you if you insist on rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ in your life. Hell was created for the devil and his angels and not for man. Yes, we've talked about many things over the last several weeks. We've talked about many things. We've talked about the rapture. We've talked about the opportunity to be saved right now. For today is the day of salvation. We've talked about that. And we've talked about the fact that during the tribulation, listen to me, we talked about the fact that during the tribulation, that men will have an opportunity to be saved. I actually did ask a guy one time, I said, hey, you want to get saved right now before the rapture? He said, no, I think I'll take my chances and go through the tribulation. I said, that's stupid. Why would you want to do that? Why not say, God, right now, I want to receive the oil of the Holy Spirit. Remember the parable? The oil of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I want to be born again. You see, the question is, and I would ask you the question this morning, if the rapture happened right now, would you go in the rapture? If the rapture happened right this moment, would everyone in this church disappear and you're sitting here by yourself? That would be a trip. And unfortunately, the rapture, when the rapture happens, and everyone in the church, in some churches, would still be here. And how even more sad that many churches, the rapture happened, the pastor would still be here. That's sad. What about you? This is a question. Listen, you can't come here every single Sunday, hear the teaching of the end times, and not respond to it. If the rapture happened at this moment, would you 
be caught up with the church? Or would you go through the tribulation? I'm confident you would get saved during the tribulation. I am confident of that. I don't know much. But I know that. But you don't want that. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Saints, would you bow your heads and your hearts? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these parables. Lord, we thank you for teaching us these very simple truths. Lord, that you are coming someday. It could happen as a thief any moment. And so, Father, I pray for every individual here, Lord. Maybe there's one here that's never made a commitment to Christ. Maybe there's one here that's been backslidden and turned away from the Lord some time ago. God, I pray that you would save. Lord, that you would cause them to really think about it now. Really give it some thought now. That the rapture could happen. And for those that don't know you, they will be left behind. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.